Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. So a few weeks ago, uh, we went to Anaheim, California. I've talked about that a couple of times now, and until I go on another cool vacation, I'm probably just gonna have to keep talking about that, right? Uh, but we went to Anaheim, California a couple weeks ago, and it was a lot of fun. Like, the, the weather out there was absolutely perfect every day. Like, 80 degrees, a nice breeze coming off the ocean and stuff. We step off the plane back here, and it's just like, what in the world is going on, right? But whenever we're out there, we go to the beach one day, and it was just absolutely beautiful, just a picture-perfect type of day. And so I decided I was going to play in the waves. Anybody still like to play in the waves? Adults? Like, we can admit it, right? You do the thing where you, like, jump in the waves, you know what I'm talking about, where you get out there and you're about chest deep or something, and, um, and, and you're watching the waves come in, and if you time it just right, you can, like, jump, and, and that thing will carry you up and lift you several feet in the air, and, you know, you ride the, ride the wave. So that's what I was out there doing. As I was out there, Pastor Josh King, he came and joined me, and we were just having a good time. Like, we're laughing, jumping in the waves like, like little kids. We were trying to get Abby and Jackie up on the beach to watch us, but they they weren't paying any attention to us, you know? I felt like the little kids whenever you just want to run up there and be like, hey, can you watch what I'm doing right now? But they, they weren't paying any, any attention at all. And, and so as we're out there, out of nowhere, this massive wave just smacks me. I mean, I didn't see it coming. It came out of nowhere. And when it hit me, man, it, it messed me up. Like I was under the, the, the roaring ocean, you know, I'm getting drug along the sea, sea bottom and I've got, you know, sand everywhere. I'm just being rolled up. And, and as I'm down there, like if you've ever had that happen to you, if you've been under a wave out of nowhere, like you just think this is it. Like I'm a goner, right? This is, these are my last moments. And you just begin to accept it. And then, you know, the, the wave goes back out and you just stand up, right? And so that's what happened to me. Like the wave went out, I, I stood up and I, I'm like catching my breath. I'm dumping sand out of my ears. My whole side is like scraped up and I'm just looking for sympathy from somebody and Abby still hasn't looked up, you know? And so I'm just like, you know, dusting myself off. And, and it was in that like, when, when you get hit by a wave, like there's this, it's pretty hard to see the, the reality of what's happening. Like you, you maybe even kind of have a little bit of an outer body experience where like you kind of see yourself under this, under this wave and stuff, but it's hard to grasp reality that it may take just a little bit of time, but that wave's gonna go away and then I'll just be able to stand up, right? So this morning we're talking about dealing with discouragement and depression, all right? We're talking about depression this morning. So I put on the brightest shirt that I could find and I drank a lot of caffeine this morning, you know, so, so that we could get through it. But depression is a lot like those waves. Like everything can be going fine, it can be a normal sunny day, and then out of nowhere, you're just hit by this wave and you feel like you're gonna be under forever, right? That's how depression can hit us. And even if you're able to kind of step back and understand what's happening and you kind of see yourself there under this wave, like you still think, man, this is it. Like, I'm gonna be under here forever. And so if you've ever dealt with any kind of discouragement or depression, 
You understand what I'm talking about. Like you've felt that before and maybe you're going, I've never dealt with any kind of depression. Well, that's what it's like, right? Just being hit by these waves and you're not really sure which way is up. About four years ago, I was hit with a massive wave of depression and anxiety. We had moved about six hours away from friends and family down to Louisiana and we were, um, we moved down there Again, leaving any kind of sense of home that we've ever known, friends, family, everything. And we moved down there, and it's a toxic work environment that I'm a part of. We were going broke. Um, we had two house payments at the time. Our bank account was just draining. And, and, and to make things worse, we had a surprise pregnancy, you know? Um, and they say that, you know, stress can, can do that, which, which then just stresses you out more, you know? And so we, here we are. We're... we're hours away from home, and, and so I was just hit with, with these deep, dark feelings. And one day after church, we went to uh, lunch after church. We went to this Mexican restaurant called El Mariachi, and, um, and I, had, I passed out, and I had a seizure. Um, I woke up to some random dude, like, shaking me, you know? And, and I'm thankful that, like, that's not the moment that I checked out, because that'd be a bad way to go, right, in El Mariachi? Um, <laughs> There's, that's not a cool story. So anyway, so I end up spending the night in the hospital, and um, they, they're running all kinds of tests on me. They've got wires hooked up to my, my head and my chest and monitoring me and, and all this, and they, they come back and they say, you're healthy. Um, you just had a panic attack. You had a mental breakdown is what happened. And so as we talk about this this morning, man, I... I've enjoyed the study this week because it's ministered to me at a deep level. Because even today, like those small waves, four years later, I'm in a new state, I'm in a new place. Four years later, out of nowhere, a small wave might hit me still, you know. And I know that I'm not alone. Statistics tell me that I'm not, not alone in this. Study after study after study shows that depression and anxiety are at an all-time high. In fact, depression is up 25% post-COVID, which it was already climbing at crazy rates, right? So it's up in the past two years, and studies show that it's affecting everybody, teenagers, young adults. Uh, senior adults are actually some of the most susceptible to falling into discouragement and depression, is what I said, 65 and up. And so it's affecting everybody. And so what I want us to talk about this morning and the time that we have is that even when we're not okay, we have a God who is, and he's with you, he hears you, and he heals, okay? So if you have a Bible, open it with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. So as we jump in this morning, remember where we've been over the past several weeks. We're ending today season one of Kings and Kingdoms. Next week, we'll jump into Second Kings. That's season two. But last week, if you remember, we, we met this guy named Elijah. And Elijah was a prophet. He was a messenger of God. And he did incredible things for the Lord. And last week, if you were with us, we talked about how he went up onto this place called Mount Carmel, and he had a showdown with King Ahab. And it was a showdown to see who the real God is. Is it God, is it Yahweh, the God that we're here to serve and, and worship this morning, or is it this fake God named Baal? And what happens is the real God shows up, shows off, and, and wins the showdown. 
If you've never heard that story, I would encourage you today, go back and read 1 Kings chapter 18. It's an incredible story. But what happens at the end of that story is Elijah says that they defeated the prophets of Baal. There was 450 prophets of Baal, and Elijah says, now capture all of them and put them to death. And that's exactly what happens. But because of that, there's this lady named Jezebel. She was the queen, and she was a bad lady. She worshiped Baal, and she had been famous for rounding up prophets of God and killing them. And whenever she hears about what happened on Mount Carmel, how, how God showed up, how they killed all the 450 prophets of Baal, Jezebel then just, she, she says, I'm coming after Elijah now. And she puts out a threat against Elijah, and he is scared, and he is deeply depressed this morning. And Elijah goes from victory on the mountaintop to despair down in the valley of the desert. And that's what we're going to see this morning. And if, if you've lived life at all, you know this to be true, that, that life is not always a mountaintop high, right? Life is not always this mountaintop high. So the question for us this morning is how will we trust him down in the valley? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Before we do... I want us to pray, and, and as we pray this morning, I just want you to get very real and very honest before the Lord. And as I pray, why don't you pray for yourself that God would speak to you this morning as we open his word. Let's pray. God, we just want to come before you now as we're opening your word. And we're talking about a subject that is very raw and it's very real and many of us may even be pretty good at hiding it. But chances are many of us deal with feeling down, feeling discouraged, or maybe even feeling depressed. And so God, would you help us this morning through your word to see Jesus, to see how you heal, how you're there, how you love us. And would you help us in the midst of all of that to lean in towards you and not away from you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. All right, let's read the first five verses together of chapter 19, and then we'll talk. Verse one, this is following Mount Carmel. King Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. That's the threat. I'm gonna kill you, is what she says. Verse three. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba, that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there, but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough. Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. So I'm gonna break this passage into kind of a couple of sections. First, I want us to see what he's feeling. What does Elijah feel? He feels a couple of things. First, he feels anxious. He feels scared. Verse three says that Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. According to psychologists, the thing that triggers depression is usually some kind of loss. Some kind of loss. So, so it's either the loss of a loved one, 
either through death or, or distance, like, like I experience. Maybe it's the loss of something significant, like a job or a relationship or some kind of possession. Maybe you had a car wreck or, or a house fire or something like that. Like that can, that can trigger some kind of depression or it's the loss of security. And that's what Elijah faces this morning. In this story, his life is threatened. And so he feels like his security is lost. And so he takes off and he goes all the way to this place called Beersheba. And we read that and we don't know where that is. Like that could be like Little Rock or that could be like Chicago. We don't know, you know. And so Beersheba, from where he was, says was in Judah. If you remember, the two tribes or the two nations have split. There's the north of Israel and then Judah's in the south. This place is in the south. And so he runs all the way to the next country over, and it would have been about 120 miles that he runs. 120 miles from Mount Carmel to the southern kingdom of Judah, and then he leaves his servant there, and then he goes one more day, one more day into the desert, and he plops down under the only desert shrub that he can find to provide some shade and relief, and then he prays in verse four, he says, I've had enough, Lord. He says he prays to die. I've had enough, Lord, take my life. Now, maybe he was actually praying to die, and maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Doesn't, I don't know that it necessarily matters. I don't think that he was literally praying to die because he's running for his life, right? He was afraid that he was going to be killed, and so he runs. And so basically the point, though, of his prayer is, I've had enough. Have you ever been there? I have. Just saying, Lord, I've had enough. Like, I can't, I can't take any more. And that's where we see Elijah this morning. So he's anxious and then he's exhausted. That's how he's feeling. He feels exhausted. He was just drained. He's drained physically. So he's, he's running in the desert. That'll get you, right? Whenever we were in California, we went out to Joshua Tree National Park, which is about two hours inland from the coast. And so at the coast, it's 80 and beautiful, but two hours in, in the desert, it was 110 degrees at Joshua Tree. And as we're driving out there, like I'm thinking, our temperature gauge is broken or something because it, it was just climbing, you know? And so we get out there, it's 110 degrees. It was just brutal. I didn't even want to get out of the car and walk into the little stores or anything, you know? And so much less hike. So we just drove to the front entrance of Joshua Tree, took a couple pictures and then left. We didn't hike or anything like that. And so I can't imagine how Elijah felt. He's running in the desert. So he's, he's running. And so he's, he's spent. People say that it probably took, to go 120 miles, it probably took six days. So six days of, of running for his life. So he's drained physically. He's drained mentally, right? Because he hasn't just been on the run for six days. He's been on, on the run for the past three years. If, you, if you've read his story, he confronts King Ahab and says, because you turn to Baal, there's gonna be a drought that's happened. And in that moment, he becomes the most wanted man in Israel. And he goes and he hides for three years. He's running for his life for three years. King Ahab wanted to kill him. And so I imagine that he thought at Mount Carmel, whenever the showdown takes place and, and, and Yahweh shows up and then he prays and the drought is ended, I think he probably imagined that King Ahab was gonna then bow down before the real God, go back and tell Jezebel everything that had happened and everything's gonna change and everything's gonna be fine at that point. But that's not what happened at all. In fact, immediately, his life was threatened. And so mentally he's drained and then also spiritually. 
Spiritually, he's drained. Go back and read Elijah's story today. He was involved in a lot of really big moments that took place, these, these miraculous things that happen. At one point, a little boy dies, and Elijah prays for him, and he comes back to life. Then the, the moment on Mount Carmel, I mean, my, God, my goodness, like that is, that is crazy that he stood up there and this whole like thing happened, God showed off, proved that he is the real God. And then after that, then Elijah prays that God would end the drought, and he does. Like amazing spiritual moments. And I think the point for us this morning that we need to understand is that great ministry does not exempt us from discouragement and anxiety and depression. Like just because you're doing great things and doing good things even for the Lord doesn't mean that you aren't susceptible to falling into a pit of despair and depression like we see Elijah fall into this morning. If we are constantly pouring ourselves out spiritually, but we're never taking any time to refill ourselves, we will dry up. And I've been there, and likely you've probably been there. Right? And so that's how he feels. That's how Elijah feels. I want us to see what God does to help him this morning. Pick up in, in, at the end of verse five with me. Then Elijah, then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Suddenly, an angel touched him. And the angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. He said, get up and eat or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse nine, he entered a cave there and spent the night. And suddenly the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord, God of armies. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they're looking for me to take my life. Then God said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord, God of armies. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they're looking for me to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you, are, when you arrive, he says you're gonna anoint two kings and a new prophet in Elisha, verse 18, but I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that is not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So Elijah feels anxious, exhausted, depressed. He's all these things. But I want us to see how God helps. There's three things that happens. Number one, God says, take time to heal. Take some time. If 
you've ever had surgery or some kind of tra uh, trauma type of moment like that, there's always a period of recovery, right? There's a period if you just need to rest and you need to heal. And that's what we see here. We see a period of recovery and healing in this passage. First thing that God says is, is take some time. He says, you need to rest. In this passage, Elijah sleeps three times. Three times. Like God could have came to him the first time and just said, here's some food. Now get up and go do what I told you to do. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. There's this whole section about this angel just nursing Elijah. Verses five through seven. This angel just kind of cares for him in this moment. And God shows us that we have a real need to slow down and take time to heal. In fact, one of the things that, that doctors recommend for fighting depression is adequate rest. So from a medical standpoint, they say, you need to rest, you need sleep. And here's why, there's, there's a medical reason for that. During deep sleep, your brain produces a chemical called serotonin, which actually fights against the chemicals that cause depression, right? And so doctors recommend sleep, but so does God. There's a whole spiritual discipline around rest. Did you know that? that God instilled this thing called Sabbath. And it was a built-in time of their schedule, built-in laws, built-in rules, where he said, you need to take some time and you need to rest. God actually commanded periods of rest. And so I think that's something that in 2022, like we need to learn to do. Because even when we're resting, we're not really resting, right? And God is saying, you need, you need rest. I was, I was told one time that you're no good to anyone if you're dead. And if you don't slow down, that's where you'll be, right? That we need, we need rest. And so he tells him, slow down. Just take a couple of naps, right? And then he says, he gives him some good food. Did you notice that? That the angel bakes bread and gives him water out there in the middle of the desert. Bread and water, which I, we could do a whole sermon on that and the symbolism that's there. But I think it's just saying that God provides for him in the desert. And so... Man, listen, sometimes the most holy thing that you can do is eat a good meal and take a good nap, right? All to the glory of God. <laughs> you, can, you can play that card this afternoon, fellas. Like, I'm gonna eat a good meal and I'm gonna take a nap. Because understand, man, that healing takes time. And I love how in this passage, God gives him the time to rest and to recharge and to heal. He gives him that time. So he says, take some time. Number two, God helps by telling him to remind him to say, talk it out. Number two, talk it out. And there's kind of three categories of talking that takes place here. The first one is with God. Talk it out with God. That, that would be my encouragement to you this morning. Listen, don't ever be afraid to admit your personal feelings, even your deep hurts, directly to God. Prayer is your number one line of defense against depression. Prayer, talking to the Lord. So run toward him in prayer. Don't turn away from him. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. See, so often our natural like, instinct in these moments when we feel hurt is just to seclude and even seclude from the Lord, right? Just turn away from him. And so whenever you're experiencing those moments of sleepless nights or whatever else that you're going through, man, guess who else is up and ready to talk? 
your heavenly father is. So, so run towards him. Psalm 118 is a beautiful passage. Uh, King David says this, Psalm 118 verse five. He says, I called to the Lord in distress. Like I, I was hurting and the Lord answered me. The Lord answered me and he put me in a spacious place. The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. What can a mere mortal do to me? The Lord is my helper. Therefore, I will look in triumph on those who hate me. So you may not feel like it. You may, you may not feel like calling out to the Lord, and I get it, I've been there. But in those moments, do it anyway. Do it anyway. Just start praying as honestly as you can. Maybe get in your car or your truck. Maybe try talking out loud. And just as honestly as you can, share your feelings with the Lord. Say, God, I am your child and I am asking you for help. I've had enough. Like, change my heart. Calm my heart. Help me to see what I need to see. Intervene in this situation. God, change my heart. Change their heart, right? Just as honestly as you can, lead me, God, to your healing. See, in your distress, Psalm 118 says that he hears you, that he answers you, he is for you, and he's your helper. He is all those things. And so I would encourage you, man, talk to God. Pray honestly. He's big enough to handle it. He can handle it. So pray honestly. So talk, talk it out. Talk to God. Talk to others. See, twice in this passage, Elijah says, I feel alone. I feel alone, he says in verse 10 and verse 14. And I think that may be the worst part of feeling down is whenever you feel alone, right? If you've ever been there, you, you know what I'm talking about. That the worst part of feeling down is feeling alone. And even though we live in a day where we have more entertainment than ever before, we have social interaction on our phones at our fingertips 24-7, people today are saying they're more lonely than ever before. In fact, 30% of Americans today say that they don't even have one close friend. Not even one. Nobody to confide in, nobody to talk to. And the World Health Organization actually says this, that depression rates have skyrocketed post-COVID in large part because of the stress caused by the social isolation. Remember when we had to just like stay in our bedrooms and we couldn't come out? They're saying that did a lot of damage to us, that people are feeling depressed and anxious because of that. So man, understand this morning that, that if you are down, if you are discouraged, if you are depressed, isolation is the last thing that you need. Isolation is the last thing that you need. You need others to encourage you, to talk to you, to lift your spirits. I think it's so interesting in this passage did you notice how it said that the angel touched Elijah? Twice it says that. That the angel touched him. There's just something about that. There's something about social interaction that I think is, is so healing for us. Even Jesus did this several times. Whenever he would heal somebody, say, say a leper or somebody like that comes to Jesus and asks to be healed, Jesus doesn't just say, be healed, right? No, he reaches out and he touches them. There's something like we were made for community. We were made to have people in our lives. And so Elijah thought, he felt like he was alone. He says it, verse 10 and verse 14. But God helps him to see, no, you're not. No, you're not. 
He says down in verse 18 that there are 7,000 people back home who I'm protecting, who believe like you do, who think like you do, who follow me. There's 7,000 people back home. And I think it's so important for us to understand whenever we are feeling that way, that your feelings are real, but they're not always based in reality. That you may feel a certain way, but you need to step back and see, man, you're not alone. You may think that you're alone, but, but you're not. God is with you, and so is your church. So lean in, not, not away. Talk about it all the time, but the importance of small groups. This is why we need one another. We need community around us so that we can lean in to that. So God has blessed you with a church family, so go to lunch, have coffee, talk to them. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're like, man, I, I don't know what you're talking about with this whole depression thing. Like people just need to be tougher, I guess. I don't know. And, and, and you're not feeling that. You're not feeling down right now. I want you to hear this more. I want you to understand how much it means if you just reach out. If you just send a text, if you make a phone call, if you send an invite, if you do all those things, if you share a meal, it can and it does mean the world, trust me. So that's your role, like step into that, be that for somebody else. So he says, talk it out with God, talk it out with others, but then talk it out with yourself. <laughs> See, God asked Elijah twice, what's wrong? He asked him twice, what, what's wrong with you? And, and here's what I think's happening. God is giving Elijah the chance to hear himself speak. God didn't necessarily need his answer. He was listening. He, he was giving him the chance to listen to himself. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way. We spend too much time listening to ourselves and not enough time talking to ourselves. What that means is that when you are down, you're kind of in your own mind, you're in your feelings, and you start listening to all of your negative thoughts. And when that happens, we need to train ourselves to learn to speak truth back to ourselves. Psalm 42, David says this. He's talking back to himself and he says, why my soul are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God for I will still praise him, my savior and my God. There's a real importance of talking truth back to yourself whenever you're listening to all the negative things that you have to say. So what does he, what does he say? He says, he says, take time to heal. He says, talk it out. And then finally, number three, to trust God. Trust God. That's how we heal from this. We trust God. Verses 11 through 13 shows us that God is in control. Like, like God brings Elijah out. And he, and he says, basically, watch, watch this. He brings him out to remind him of who he serves. And there's this whole impressive thing that happens. It's like a hurricane and earthquake and fire and all these different things going on. Just this impressive display of God's power. But it says that God wasn't in those things. He wasn't in those things. But he puts on this show almost as if, as if to say, you're, you're afraid of Jezebel? Like, remember my power. Do you remember who I am? I, th I think that's what God is saying in that moment. But then it says that God speaks to him in a small, quiet voice. Just a small, calm, quiet voice, verse 12. The phrase is actually a soft whisper. That phrase only appears two other times in the Bible. A soft whisper. It appears in Job 4.16 and in Psalm 107.29. And in both of those passages, 
It's talking about comfort in the midst of pain and distress and fear, right? Isn't that amazing? That in those moments, God is speaking back comfort to you. When we hurt, God is there. His whisper comforts our soul. And you're going, man, I've never heard God whisper. How does he do that? Well, he does it through his written word, and he does it through his spirit living in his people, right? That God will whisper back to you and he will calm your soul. And the soft whisper of God whispers back to Elijah this, and it's so important. I think this is the thing that may help us the most. God tells Elijah, you have purpose. You're wanting to die, but you have purpose. Verse 15 There's that whole section where he says, okay, I've heard you, I've heard you twice. Now get up and go back where you came from. Get up and go. And he's sent on this mission, and it's an important mission too. He's going to anoint two kings and the next prophet, a guy named Elisha, right? And so this is a, a big task. And what God is saying in this moment is God is saying, I'm not done with you. I'm not, I'm not done with you. And so I want you to hear this morning that God's soft whisper is saying the same thing to you and to me right now, that God is not done with you, that he has great plans for you. Have you ever been driving and you find yourself in just kind of a crazy rainstorm? I know it hasn't happened in a while around here, um, but like you'll just be driving and it's just like this crazy amounts of rain and so much that like you can't even really see the car in front of you. You know what I'm talking about? You ever seen that? before like that's scary right but in that in that moment like you know that it's tough and you know you can't really see what's in front of you but you also know because you've lived enough life to know that the storm's going to pass because they always do right it's not going to last forever and so in that moment you have a choice like I can either keep driving or I can pull over and I can kind of wait it out right and when the storm clouds of depression hit it's no different than that. that. That storm may have come out of nowhere, but, but now you're in it and you can choose to just keep pushing through it on your own or you can pull over and you can seek some help, talk to somebody, lean in to God. But I need you to know this morning that wherever you're at, God's not done with you. God has a purpose for you. God sees you. And he hears you and the storm's gonna pass because they always do, right? And so if you're struggling today, I wanna give you a little bit of homework. I want you sometime this week, maybe every day this week, read Psalm chapter 27. Read Psalm chapter 27 every day and memorize verse 13. It says this, I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living that it may be tough right now and I may not be able to see the car in front of me, but I'm certain that he has a purpose for me and he's gonna bring me through. And I'm not gonna die in this situation. He's gonna bring me out into the land of the living. You have a purpose and he will bring you through. And so maybe you find yourself this morning struggling with disappointment or depression and Elijah felt it. Paul felt it. In the New Testament, Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 1. 
We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we despaired of life itself. That's the great apostle Paul saying that, that it became too much. So Elijah felt it, Paul felt it, Job felt it, Jonah felt it, David felt it, even Jesus felt overwhelmed. So what makes you think that you won't? What makes you think that you're strong enough that you, you're not gonna struggle with it? I know that you hurt and I know that it's real. And so as we close, a very practical application for us this morning. If that's you, man, you might need to seek out some medical help. You might need to. There's no shame in that. Modern medicine and doctors are a good gift. If you can't see, you put on glasses, right? If, if you have a cancer diagnosis, you seek out the best doctors you can find, right? In the same way, man, Christian counselors and people who will come alongside you are a good gift from the Lord. And if you need suggestions, we have several local counseling centers that I will personally refer you to. I'll, I'll set up the first meeting. So that, you may need that. You may be at that point. But from our text this morning, very applicable things for us to do is take time to heal, eat right, take a good nap, get good sleep at night, talk it out. Don't isolate yourself. Don't isolate from God. Don't isolate from friends. Don't isolate from your church. And then trust God. Get in his word. Lean in to him. Commune with him. Draw near to him. The great Adrian Rogers said this, the most miserable person on earth is not an unsaved person, but a saved person out of fellowship with God. And so you may just need to lean back in to his goodness, even when you don't want to, right? Ultimately, this morning, I, I, want, us, I want to encourage you to lean into Jesus. Because we may not be okay, but Jesus is, right? We may not be okay, but, but Jesus is. And he understands our pain. He understands our suffering. He faced everything that we do, and he's able to sympathize, Hebrews 4.15 says. He's for the suffering and the broken. You can't read the gospels without seeing that. That he always moves into places filled with grief. He always moves toward those who are suffering. He seeks them out. In fact, that was his whole purpose in coming. He said things like, I've come for the sick in Luke chapter five. He says, come to me if you're weary, like come to me and I'll give you rest. And so we look to Jesus because he has defeated everything that we'll face in this world everything. We place our hope and our trust in him. It's not just something theoretical that we like come in here and talk about for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning or maybe a little bit longer this morning, but it's real. Like it affects how we live. That he's defeated everything and we place our trust in him. The good news of the gospel speaks clearly into this, that we deserve death that our sin separates us from God, Romans 6, 23. That, like, we deserve death for our sin. But when we deserve death, just like he does for Elijah in the desert, he provides bread and water. He provides the bread of life and living water in Jesus. 
John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. So just as God provided for Elijah in the moment where he begged for death, God, God says, no, no, I'm gonna give you life. I'm gonna give you bread. I'm gonna give you living water. And that's what he did for us. Whenever he went to the cross and he died in our place, whenever he rose from the dead, he offers us a chance at life. And because of that, resurrection is in our story. Resurrection is in your story. He understands your pain and he has the power to make you whole. And even when we're not okay, we have a God who is. And he's there and he heals. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.